drifting along with a breeze. Just drifting along with the breeze. Come sneaking in here. I'm just drifting along with a breeze. <laughs> we did that purposely. You got to know that. That was not done. I know what you guys are doing with your tape recorders out there. You're not fooling anybody here. Yeah, get away hey, uh, do you mind if I do something you know, very pompous tonight? I mean, more pompous than usual. You know? really go all out and do something really pompous. Uh, would you give me a little echo chamber? Ooh, uh, before you... No, not yet. No, I'll give you the cue for it. You got it ready in there? Let's test the echo chamber. Oh! Hello! Hello! Well, what a fantastic weapon that would be. You know, you go to the ball game if you carry your own echo chamber with, you know. About 700 watts of audio. Well, of course, this is this is coming, you know, with the miniaturization of equipment. And uh, I say uh, by the next uh, decade, I'd say probably by 1980, you can look forward to the fact that you can be able to carry about 250 watts of audio in a box about the size of, uh, oh, the, you know, box of kitchen matches, something like that. You know that size box. And uh, just think what you could do with that. That's about 200, 300 watts of audio. I mean, really... You know, a lot of guts, man. I mean, that's, that's a real audio. I don't mean I don't mean a little bullhorn, you know, the kind you got today. I'm talking about audio. You got about three or four hundred watts, and you can stick it in your pocket. See, you, and it's 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 operated by pen lights or something, pen light batteries. You'll have to have a special, but maybe solar energy. You know, you just put up a little thing, a little uh, a little uh, maybe just a little parabolic reflector. See, and it picks the sun up, and instantly the sun's energy is converted to 250 watts of audio power and uh, after all this is the age of the total ego and uh, and since uh, the ego is part and parcel of our time you're going to have to have reasons to to display your ego uh, what do you think all this uh, this marker stuff that's going on on the subways guys are writing their name they don't write other stuff they write their name all over the place <laughs> that's all it's ego you know ego 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 and so ego is very important and uh, so naturally uh there's going to have to be technology to augment the ego. I suspect that uh, technology has not yet caught up with the fact that one of the great, uh, one of the great markets is the ego. I mean, uh, if you can come to me and say, do you believe that your voice is not heard enough and people do not recognize your tremendous ideas? Are you uh, lost in the crowd? By the, you know, the little ego magic zinger rumor. 250 watts of booming ego power and all you have to do is reach up and press the button on your you know you got a little button on your 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 vest and you just press the button see that uh, it turns on 250 watts of fantastic ego power and uh, the little antenna goes up instantly picks up a little of the sun's rays and you're sitting out at the ballpark we'll say for example you're you know way way out there back at third base way out there where the where the foul line hits the left field bleachers. You know, you're so far back you can't even see the ball game, but you're, you know that they're going to see you. So you press the button and you holler, Ekelefum! And it just echoes throughout the entire ballpark, and they can hear it all the way over in Jersey. So you're hollering out there at Shea Stadium. Just think how, how great that would be. Have you noticed today that, uh, that the instant the television camera moves around out in the ballpark, uh, people have a, have an instantaneous TV camera detector. Uh, somehow they, they know instantly where the camera is. And you notice everybody leaps up and immediately begins to wave. Well, now, I say that this is uh, this is very old hat. This goes all the way back to the days uh, of uh, Milton Berle in television. See? Yeah. So eventually, 
they will bring out products for that. They say, are you lost in the crowd when the TV camera picks up the mob back at third base? There you are sitting amid all those people. And uh, are you lost in the crowd? Well, can you imagine how groovy it would be to have a little electronically operated, battery operated, miniaturized. Remember, it's all miniature. You can carry it in your pocket along with all the rest of the stuff. You know, ballpoint pens on it. Miniaturized neon sign that uh, you just press the button, zap, it goes, wowie, it unfolds, see? The neon sign goes, bam, unfolds real wide, and it spreads your name out in, in glowing neon. <laughs> and the minute that the, that the Lindsay Nelson says, so let's uh, take a look at that crowd back at first base, and you, you're... Uh, your automatic uh, television camera detector, which this is all very important, because many guys have really flubbed the dub by sitting right there in the middle of the ballpark when the TV camera picks up the section that they're sitting in, and they don't even know what's on them. They're sitting there picking their teeth, you know. And, uh, all the while, they could be greeting the entire western seaboard, you know, or eastern seaboard. They could be greeting uh, everybody in Jersey and let them know that, that Joe, uh, you know, that old Aki is out at the ball game today, you know, big Aki. And, uh, so what you need is a television camera detector. This is part of our new Ego kit that lets you know. You know how you, you've seen those radar detectors that you can buy when you're driving along a turnpike. You have a little machine that picks up the radars, lets you know that there's a radar down the street, and you can slow up to legal uh, legal speed automatically. It lets you know that the, that the fuzz is hiding behind the Sherwin-Williams paint sign down there with their radar on. And that you can... <laughs> Well, that's true. Isn't that what it's for? It's not there just because you're a radar fan and you want to hear the radar, is it? <laughs> I, I know what it's for. And so do the cops. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I think w one of the best ways to get around the radar thing, and I can tell you this as, a, as an ex-radar man, if you, uh, if you find that owning a radar detecting kit is a little expensive and a little elaborate, I mean, you have that big machine there, what you ought to have, uh, any, any, uh, any guy that knows anything about radar can tell you that one of the great anti-radar devices is something called chaff. You know what is a chaff? Oh, well, now you're learning. This is a part of our educational, part of our program here that we'd like to bring as part of the educational services on this important station. Chaff is spelled C-H-A-F-F. And chaff is, is uh, pieces of tinfoil uh, that you can buy. Uh, they're very cheap. It's uh, like Reynolds wrap. It's little pieces of Reynolds wrap or tin foil or something like that. Cut to the exact wavelength or half wavelength of the radar set itself. So what happens when chaff, how do you use chaff? Well, if you're flying along in an airplane scene, you figure the radar is on you, right? And uh, they're, they're getting ready to put the, put the whammy on you. Well, you release the chaff. And a great big cloud of this stuff flies out, and it completely confuses the radar because they get a whole big fuzzy... A lot of blurs back. They don't get a nice clean pip anymore. They get a blur. See, they can't make any measurements on it. That's called chaff, right? And even B-52s have got chaff, so I don't think this is old hat. It's the real thing, friend. So uh, chaff is very important. And, uh, and, I, and I say that ultimately all good drivers who you know, persist in driving 197 miles an hour on the turnpike and they don't want to get the armored law on them are going to have a chaff release mechanism. So uh, the minute that you suspect you're in a, ch in, a, in a radar area, you press a button on the dashboard of your car, and a little container on the, on the roof of the car just shoots up a big cloud of chaff. <laughs> up it goes, see? And it just, uh, you could do it with a little air pressure thing, you know, like an aerosol can. 
and a big mushroom cloud of chaff drifts down over the car, and no no radar could ever conceivably measure how fast you're going. It's just a great big cloud of stuff there, see, and the chaff drifts down. Well, now, this is all part of the of the uh, personal uh, anti-protection warfare kit that we all have going <laughs> these days. And uh, so I would like to suggest that... Uh, that uh, we come up with a uh, radar, some kind of a radar device that detects instantly when the TV camera is on you. You got to know this if you're going to use uh, if you're going to use uh, your ego to its fullest extent. And so the minute the radar, you know, picks up the fact that the that the TV camera's on you, all this stuff goes into action immediately. Your your uh, your ego echo chamber is turned on. It's all done automatically. After all, that's the best way. You want everything to work without any real action on your part. So the uh, the echo chamber is turned on, Joe. Instantly, your little uh, your hello. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> and then instantly, of course, up goes your up goes your neon sign. It just automatically shoots up out of the back of your coat. See, it's it's see, you don't even have to look at the camera. I mean, that gets pretty dull after a while. All you see is that machine. So uh, the, the little pow up it goes. The big sign says. Uh, Big Aki from Bellevue, Bellevue New, Jersey, New Jersey, loves, loves the, Mets. the Mets. I am I Big Aki. And then you have a sign that points, you know, one of those arrows that points down at you. You've seen those arrows that say eat uh, in those uh, diners along uh, along uh, Route 3. Well, uh, you, want a, you want a sign that points right down at your head all the time. says, uh, Aki, he's here. Big Aki. Don't forget, Aki's here. Aki's beautiful. And... Uh, <laughs> well, uh, this is all part of our time. you got to have the echo chamber. And so... It's uh, it's uh, the ego is becoming very important, and uh, and I would like to salute that tonight, uh, part of our pomposity show tonight. I would like to salute uh, the uh, one of the most pompous things, of course, that man has to offer these days is art, right? Art. I mean, art. Not, I don't, I'm not talking about uh, Art Fleming. I'm talking about art. I'm talking about art, right? Art. A R T. Capital letters art. So, uh, would you please uh, give me my echo chamber? I tonight, tonight take this, take this official occasion. occasion. Uh, uh, I personally, me, 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 me big me, me, I am saluting art. Art, art, art. That gives me a nice one. But would you give me a little music there to accompany uh, my ego, please, if you will? Bring it on there. Please, this is ego music. Hooray for the ego. Hooray for me. I am fantastic. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Would you care for a little brochure here? I got a little light up here that you'd like to see. I have it in three colors, and you can have a picture that lights up. Da -do 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 -do. Oh, don't forget that I am me, 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 yeah. Yeah, me, me. I am me, and I'm going to stay me because I'm the greatest thing since bottled beer. I am, I am, I am me, Rasmataz and Rudy, too. I'm the biggest thing since they brought out sliced bread. Bam, bam, do, 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 do. M E E M E E M M M E E E E M E E E G O I am me and I think that's great. Hooray for me, yes, hooray. All together now, let's sing it out for me, 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 he, he, he. Oh, oh, pizza. Well, cut it out there. You got boodle M shake. I'll boodle M shake you. A lot of do that. <laughs> Reset that, will you, Joe? Kind of like this, don't you? Well, of course, uh, you're dealing with uh, basic things. And uh, as part of our salute to the ego tonight, we would like to salute the ego of a uh, contemporary artist. 
uh, Irish, of course, and the Irish have never been noted for their lack of ego. But uh, nevertheless, this particular artist uh, has just put on the art market, and I think you might like to know this. This is what's going on in the art world, for those of you who are art fans. 30 pieces of 18-carat gold-plated chewing gum, chewed by an Irish artist, uh, went on display at a New York gallery. Uh, the artist said that he chewed each piece for, quote, uh, exactly eight minutes, no, exactly two minutes, and then I just spit it out and sent it off to be cast in solid gold. Now, get the picture. This guy just chewed the gum. You, 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 how many times have you just think of the fortunes that you have kicked away by sticking gum on the bottom of the bus seat? How many times have you just carelessly, without even considering the fact that uh, you're destroying a whole artistic uh, career, You've stuck gum on the bottom of, the, of a seat in the theater, right? You've done it. Everybody, you haven't done it? Well, what the hell do you do with your gum? You don't chew gum. Well, then you've even gone even worse. You have blown a career without even starting it. <laughs> to admit you don't chew gum is silly. This is W.O.R. New York speaking. Uh, this is W.O.R. New York, I repeat. Would you give me a little of that, uh, that uh, lovely uh, Portuguese music, please? Oh, speaking of uh, ego, uh, I... <laughs> Uh, in Portugal, they don't put your name up in lights. They put your name out in tile. How do you like that, man? You can have your name spelled out in tiles, you know. Forever last tile. TAP, the Intercontinental Airline of Portugal, has a two-week royal treatment tour of Portugal and Spain for $453. It will show you the Portugal that the Portuguese have kept for themselves, like the little ceramic shops where you can have things like tile house signs, which are named, made for practically nothing. <laughs> In cafes where you can stuff yourself with wine, cheese, and pastries for pennies and go out, you know, just reeling around the street. And they'll show you their magnificent neighbor, Spain, and the beauties of that countryside, like their bullfights, museums, and charming countryside. So, friend, if you have an ego that calls for your name to be put in tiles so you can really have it last a long time, call your travel agent or TAP at 421-8500 for complete details. $453 for two weeks, including round-trip economy airfare. Now, that's the kind of a deal that they should put up in lights, right? Your name. Big Aki is coming to Portugal. <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. Stop it. Cut it out. Cut it out. That's that's embarrassing. Well, it's uh, zit kit time here, and uh, <laughs> it's a curious name. Uh, what it boils down to is if you have any skin problems, uh, you know, whiteheads, blackheads, and so forth, acnes, and so on, well, here's a new thing. It's called the Zip Kit by Dermacon Laboratories, and it consists of three proven medicines, which uh, are, include this. The Dermacon Skin Cleanser, which does what it says it does. The Dermacon Medicated Lotion, which you use during the day to dry out blemishes and so on. And the Dermacon Medicated Cream, which you apply at night, which helps heal and soothe while you sleep. Now, the Zip Kit comes with all three of these things, and you can buy the Dermacon Zip Kit at Genovese, Whalen, Mac, Drug Guild, and other leading pharmacies. Now, the name is the Dermacon Zip Kit. In fact, they say give it a 30-day trial, and it costs less than 25 cents a day to try, and you'll see the difference. The name, again, is, Zer is Dermacon Zip Kit. Try it. You can pick it up at the drugstore. But uh, I, I would like to, if you think I'm kidding, here it is, right here. You think I'm inventing it. I will, I will read you the art, uh, the art news bulletin from a, a gallery. I received this as a public relations bit. They think, you know, it's great art. And this artist, he, uh, he just took the gum. See, they did not say whether he used spearmint or whether it was, uh, 
you know, tutti frutti, or whether <laughs> you know whether you use dentine, you know, which is more of a classical gum chewer, because uh, uh, there are certain kinds of gum chewers who will not chew gum unless they feel that they're doing some good in things. You know, they they're helping themselves, so they chew dentine. But uh, nevertheless, uh, he took this pieces of gum. He took four pieces of gum, actually thirty pieces. Now he started out with four. He said. Uh, People bought him. He thought it was kind of great. So what he did is just simply chew his gum for two minutes. Took a stick of gum. He chewed it for two minutes and didn't do anything else with it. He just chewed it. So he took it out of his mouth, sent it off to have it gold-plated. That's ego. That is ego. And then, <laughs> I mean, uh, everything he does is, you know, beautiful. Has to even chew the gum. He's an artist. After all, an artist uh, doesn't just walk around and chew gum like other people. You know, he chews it with a purpose and meaning and uh, passion. That's it, passion. He wants to say something, a statement, say. So uh, then they cost 350 bucks a piece. And uh, he admitted, however, that anybody could do this. He says, that's true. He says, but after all, I'm an artist. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> hey. and uh, along with your piece of gum that you get, this beautiful piece of $350, uh, it's, it's not the real gum. It's just the cast of the gum. See, it's beautiful. Uh, you also get a picture of the artist chewing the very piece of gum that you have cast in your magnificent art collection there. 350 bucks. Well, now that's a... <laughs> that's a uh, you, did you hear... I, I don't know how quite, how quite I can approach this. Uh, but I'm going to have to approach it from the standpoint of, after all... Uh, when one reports on the art world, one reports on the art world. One does not uh, shilly-shally around, and art deals with life, right? It deals with the realities of our time. Well, there was a great big brouhaha in Rome here recently of an artist who had a show, and uh, he displayed uh, a collection of things which he had produced. You heard about that. You didn't? Well, he did. He displayed these things which he had produced. Now, he said, <laughs> uh, he said, after all, I'm an artist, and uh, what an artist produces is important, right? So he, well, actually, since he was an Italian, he didn't quite say it that way. He said, I was an artist. He, he produced it, and, and there was a great brouhaha in Rome as to whether or not this constituted art. Well, of course, uh, all the avant-garde art critics maintained it certainly did, and uh, all the other art critics you know, walked around and hollered, boo, boo. But that we are making no value judgment. We are merely saying that he put these things on display which he produced. I will let your imagination take over. That's right. I'm not going to go any further than that. He produced them. And as a matter of fact, the chances are so do you. But that nevertheless, he produced them, and uh, he said since he was an artist, that made him his production more important than yours. Right? And so <laughs> that's actually what was on the spot. So now you see the eagle has come full circle. Now, I, I uh, <laughs> oh, there are many people. Let's let's face it. I mean, any time if you ever go out and get your hair cut, you figure that what you better do is collect all those hairs because eventually there may be, you know, great clamoring uh, demand for actual cuttings of, of Big Aki's hair. You know, Big Aki was this great person. Uh, these are called relics. You know what is it a relic? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, uh, don't 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 uh, don't ignore the fact that you are every day producing relics. Now, anytime you cut your finger, cutting your fingers, you're, you're producing relics that could be very important. Get your hair cut. 
Yeah, you better, you know, you better look carefully at all these things that you've been tossing away so casually. You've been, you've been throwing away your gum. Well, do you realize that gum properly prepared is worth at least 350 bucks per shot if you get it properly gold-plated? <laughs> and it doesn't even have to be well gold-plated, just as long as it's, it's, uh, go now, now this is, this is uh, what I mean about the flowering of the ego, and I kind of like it. I, I think it, 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 it adds a great deal to our life. I, I, uh, I have a friend, for example. Now, I don't, don't know how he got into this hang-up, but it is a fact. He does this. Now, you're going to think that I'm inventing this. I am not inventing it, and I'm, in fact, I'm, I'm telling you this for what it's worth. It's true. This guy, <laughs> this guy keeps notebooks. Now, he does this quietly, very secretly. He keeps notebooks. And uh, in these notebooks, what does he put? Well... He very carefully records, and he's been doing it ever since he was about five. And I you know, ask him one day, I says, well, how come, how'd you start? He says, well, I don't know. The urge came to me. Of course, this is all part of an artistic temperament. The urge comes to you. And uh, it's unexplained. You can't explain how the urge comes, you know. When, when, well, believe me, when, when the guy was getting ready to paint, uh, when, when El Greco was getting ready to paint Toledo, a view of Toledo, he didn't say, well, I... I, uh, after all, I, he, he doesn't, he, the urge came to him to paint a view of Toledo, and he did. That's it. And there it is. Well, my friend, at the age of five or six, had this urge to record in notebooks every meal he eats. I'm just throwing it out to you for what it's worth. He put down in a notebook what he had for breakfast, and then he put down what he had for lunch, then he put down what he had for dinner, or supper. And he puts it down in, in exact details, like uh, meatloaf, mashed potatoes, squash, jello, and uh, two cups of coffee. <laughs> he writes it down. Now, he has notebooks. Of course, not a guy. He's a grown-up man. He's walking around guy. You know, he's, he's maybe 40 or something like that. And he has hundreds of notebooks. He keeps these little, and he carries them with him. Because, you know, there's a little pocket kind, you know, like little pocket diary type things. And, and he has notebooks that give his total uh, gastronomical history back to the days when he was five or six. And he says one of the great sorrows of his life is that uh, he didn't learn to write until he was five or six. He says, think what is lost in the history. There was a good four-year gap in my, <laughs> five-year gap in my gastronomical history. I said, well, what's the point of it? He said, well, you haven't seen the rest of it. You know what he does? He also puts it in different colored pencils. He doesn't just, he has these red pencils, green pencils, yellow pencils. And, and if he eats in, say, a hotel, let's say if a guy goes out and has lunch, say, at the, at the plaza, he puts that in a blue pencil. If he eats at home, he uses black. If he eats in a restaurant, he uses red. Now, if he eats, say, has his lunch in at the office, that's a green one. He can tell at a glance what, what kind of a lunch it is. So he's got a whole code. And then he puts comments underneath each one, like uh, ice cream, particularly good. In the, uh, in the uh, last of the Mohegans room in the Pitcairn Hotel in um, Oshkosh, Wisconsin. <laughs> and he can go back through all of his notebooks and tell you just exactly what he had, say, uh, on his uh, ninth birthday, what he ate. Now that... Uh, uh, it's kind of a curious thing. So I asked him, I said, how come you do this? He says, well, uh, maybe valuable someday. I said, 
Valuable, Frank. What do you mean valuable? You never know. Couldn't say anything more about it. Now I suspect that Frank thinks one day he's going to be a very famous man, and these notebooks will be invaluable. Why? Can you imagine what Abraham Lincoln's notebooks about everything he ate from the time he was a rail splitter in Illinois at the age of nine, kept in his own hand, would be worth? That's right. So Frank is, you know, working on that premise. He, he figures, you never know. Now, I know another guy. You want to hear another one? Now, these are, these are true stories. I've not invented this. I know another guy who, since the time he was a little kid, this guy, uh, since he was a little, little kid, he was about, uh, again, about five or six, something like that. He, he, he always would read the, the comic strips, see? And he got hung on comic strips. So every day, this goes back to the time when he was a little kid, and if I told you who this was, you would be amazed because the guy really has gone on to become a famous man. That's the curious you know, curious reaction that you always have. He really did do it, see? But this guy, from the time he was a little kid, he was about five or six, maybe eight, maybe eight, roughly eight, he began to... To, to every day, every day, he would he would draw a comic strip. Every night, he would draw his own little comic strip about what happened to him that day. And he draws drew himself as a little comic strip character. You know, like Peanuts or something like that, like like Sh Charlie Brown or Schroeder. And he he and it's an actual strip. It has little panels. It has one, two, three, four, and it has balloons coming out of people's mouths. And he uses real characters, you know, the people, like, what is, what happened to them, him that day? Like, his teacher said something, or some kid that was a friend of his said something, and they had this whole thing. They went out and played baseball and so on. And so he kept his, his life in comic strip form. Well, he continued to do this all the way through high school. Never missed a day. Absolutely never missed. Because, you know, diarists are a curious breed. I've never been able to do it. Uh, how many of you have ever attempted a diary? Everybody at one time, when you're old, could you start keeping a diary? Did you ever do that, Jerry? You never did it? Well, I, 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 uh, I've never, I've never uh, ever done this, but yet, I, I, they are a secret breed. They are a secret breed. And they are a secret type of ego, too. Uh, to believe that everything that happens to you in your life is worthy of writing down and the keeping in a, in a permanent form. And the diarist is a special breed of cat. He really is a special type, and usually an introverted person. Very few extroverts keep diaries. Uh, introverts tend to do it. And so they, they live a secret life on their paper, on this paper. Every night they write down, uh, Oh, joy, oh, joy, at last it looks like love has come to me. <laughs> and they write this stuff down. Well, well, in the end, uh, this guy went all the way through high school. And he, 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 would, he would, every day, he would put his life down in cartoon strip. Now, that's an interesting technique. Instead of just writing it down, he actually kept it in a cartoon form. And uh, as he got out of high school, he went into, I believe, the Navy. And sure enough, while he's in the Navy, <laughs> secretly, he's keeping every day what happened to him that day in a cartoon form, and at the same time, of course, he's changing. He, he, now he's got a sailor suit on, his character. And, uh, and, and then when he went to college, he did the same thing. And to this day, this guy's a very famous man today. If I told you who it was, you wouldn't believe it. You'd be, you'd be astounded. To this day, this guy, every day, goes into the... It, it, when, when he's, uh, you know, away from the maddening throng, 
and uh, away from the applause of the, and the acclaim of a multitude, or whatever it is that they're doing at that moment, he, he goes off into wherever he goes, where he can get that private thing, and he spends 20 minutes or half an hour, and now, of course, it's such, a, such an automatic thing now, that he doesn't even uh, think it's unusual. It's just been part of his life so much it's not even unusual anymore, you know. So he goes off and he just quietly draws his cartoon for that day and it's put in with all the rest. And now he has a fantastic, he keeps it in a, in a, in a, uh, in a big cabinet that he's had made specially for it. And it goes all the way back to the days when he was a kid. And he can pull out any year, any time. It's all cross-filed. He can pull out any day within any year. So if you come up to him and you say, uh, well, let's take a look at your cartoon for, uh, let's say, uh, uh, April the, the 7th, uh, 1949. He so, okay. He reaches up and pulls it out, and there's his cartoon. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? Now, that's, that's, that's another example of, uh, of the galloping ego. And, and, uh, and yet, yet uh, in, a, in an odd sort of way, he has gone on to become very famous. And, and one day, I'll guarantee you, one day, people will be actually publishing uh, excerpts from his, his great uh, autobiography done in cartoon form. A curious thing. Uh, I, I've, uh, I've run into guys, of course, the ego and, and, and the arts have always been in a tangle. It's a, after all, art is a form of extension of the ego. It takes a lot of ego uh, to, to, uh, to present what you do uh, for the applause of the multitude. And uh, I stand, uh, I stand guilty. <laughs> everybody, everybody who's ever who's ever performed really seriously as a profession, uh, whoever has written or whoever has gone out on a stage or whoever has, has gone to the gallery and says, "Hang these things up. These are great." Uh, he's he's part of that vast uh, collection of people who go all the way back to the first caveman. You know, all the other cavemen were walking around, uh, you know, going out hunting mammoths, and one guy says, "Wait a minute, watch this." And he drew a mammoth on the cave wall. And uh, how do you like that? And, uh, of course, immediately, uh, the, the crowd uh, among the cavemen had to divide up into groups. One group says, oh, that's great. And uh, another group says, oh, come on, my kid could draw better than that. And uh, there's always that crowd. And then out of that crowd, one guy jumped up and says, wait, now, just one moment. Now, you don't really properly understand that. Now, I'm going to explain to the rest of you what he was attempting to do. He's the critic. Uh, the critic had to come out at about that same time. The critic popped out. So, so the 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 idea of a uh, yeah, that's the way the critic started right there. You know, he says, "Wait a minute, wait a minute." But, uh, I'll tell you what it's all about. And of course, by then the artist is sitting over in the corner. He's working on another one. See, he's working away on his great picture of all the antelopes. And uh, and in the meantime, the critic is saying, "Now you see, you realize that the." The way he has treated the back shows that he is emerging from his early primitive period and is now moving into a more sophisticated line. <gasps> All the others, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. And, uh, of course, <laughs> the career has blossomed. Without artists, you can have no critics. Without critics, you can have no artists. They're very important. And the worst thing that can happen to an artist is to have the critics not even, you know, ignore them. That shows he hasn't done anything worthy of them even uh, saying it's bad. So <laughs> this is... This is a this is a, a big problem, but you know on on the subject of uh, of uh, uh, the ego of today, I was talking to a guy over in a in a place uh, where they sell electronic equipment, 
and and uh, you know they they sell it's one of these you know these places in midtown where they sell all kinds of junk they sell uh you know a little gimmick type jazz little cheap transistor radios and japanese cheap cameras and stuff they had all this stuff and uh, somehow the subject got up you know what really sells and he said i'll tell you what sells he said you know what you know what the biggest seller we've got tonight and i said what he says man it really sells and i said what he says well we got a fully transistorized bullhorn he says, we really can't keep those in stock. A fully transistorized bullhorn. Well, you know what a bullhorn is. You've seen Oh, hello, this is me. How are you, Charlie? He says, we sell bullhorns till hell freezes over. <laughs> he says, they really go. And do you know what the other, the other uh, thing that sells a great deal? Tremendous selling thing now, of course, is, uh, is eavesdrop equipment. I'm not talking about bugging equipment. I'm talking about eavesdropping equipment. Well, you know what an eavesdropping... That's one of these parabolic reflectors with a very sensitive microphone in it. And you hook it up uh, to, a, to a, a little amplifier. The amplifier is built into the thing. It's plastic. See, it's, the amplifier is built in. You plug in the earphones and you sit there and you can direct it around. You can aim it, see, and you can hear what the people are saying across the street, see. Two people are talking on a street corner and they're having a big argument, and you take your great big parabolic reflector and you zero it right in on it. It's even got a sight with crosshairs. So they can zoom it in right on you. And so these two people are over there having a big battle, and this guy is sitting there, he's got his earphones on, he's listening to it. And he says, Now we've even got a really great model. Now he says, You haven't seen anything. He says, We've got a model that has a, attached to it. It has a built-in, it's molded right into it. It's a built-in tape recorder. So in case you hear anything really good, you just reach up and press the button, and it starts recording it. He says, and we have just gotten a brochure for a really improved model. He says, it's not only got a crosshair sight, it has got on it an adjustable telescope that you can watch the scene that you're listening to, and you can just zoom in on it. See, it's got a 10-power telescope. <laughs> you zoom right in on it, and it's got a thing where you can attach a camera to the top. So you can take cameras, pictures of it, you tape record the whole bit, and you're sitting there quietly intruding in on other people's private lives. And I says, well, don't people feel embarrassed about coming in and buying these kind of stuff? No, no. He says, that's a whole new hobby. It's great. It's a terrific hobby. This is a new hobby. I said, you mean a hobby of, of listening in on other people? Yeah. He says, you know. he says, matter of fact, he says, you know, we got guys that come in here, he says, and they collect tapes and they trade them back and forth. Like uh, the most obscene comments I've ever heard. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the most intimate remarks I've ever done. And he says, and these guys are, he says, not only that, he says, some of them are even thinking of going on and having them put on a master disc and put on an LP. You know, overheard. <laughs> I says, well, can't they get in trouble? He says, what do you mean trouble? He says, don't bring that up. He says, no trouble at all. He says, there's no problem. He says, it's all technology. He says, it's nothing personal about it. I said, wow. But the, did you know that this is a big seller now? Oh, sure, you've seen these things. And and, uh, and, and he says, big seller. He says, particularly among kids. <laughs> he says, kids are... <laughs> well, of course, there's, there's no problem that uh, that doesn't have its antecedents. I remember myself, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a common... It's a, it, I think one of the most one of the most natural things in in, in, in the human uh, desire, uh, let's put it this way, the desire spectrum stuff you'd like to do, that uh, practically everybody secretly, at at one point or another in his life, wanted to be invisible. 
You know, the idea of being invisible is very exciting. Just invisible. Where you can go into, you know, into, into situations and scenes and, and see things and hear things, and you're invisible. Nobody can spot you. Then, then one of the other things that everybody would like to do at one point in your life, you might have probably thought about it, to have x-ray eyes, to be able to see through things. Oh, sure. Joe, you must have been an earthbound person all your life. You were content to always be a turtle. <laughs> well, I will tell you that the higher the imagination quotient of a person, the more he tends to want to do those things, the more he tends to say, geez, wouldn't it be great if I could fly and I could go any place I want, you know, the magic carpet process where you can just take off and transmit yourself. You see a lot of this stuff in science fiction. One of the common science fiction themes is instantaneous teleportation where a guy can transport his body instantaneously, electronically, to any place in the solar system. This is a... Uh, this is a common theme in, in science fiction. Also, another common theme in fantasy fiction is the invisible thing. Ever heard of, of, of the invisible man? Famous stories like that? Well, why do these things have, have, a, have a lure? Because you secretly would like to be able to do it. You know, you walk around and, and you're invisible. And, and uh, that is, is, is another part. Another part of the science fiction theme is to be able to see scenes in the past and in the future. The, the, the alley-oop syndrome, the, the, the time machine syndrome, where instantaneously you, you're put into a machine and... You're in the 396,000th century, and you look around, see? I'm here. And you remain yourself, of course. That's important, see? You remain the good old Ollie Hop Noodle, you know, of, of, of Peapack, New Jersey. But then, somehow, mysteriously, you're in the 300,000th century. And you can see everything that's going on at that time. And it's very exciting. Huh? And, uh, you always have to return back to your basic century so you can come back and report to them. You know what it's going to be like. That's part, of the, that's part of the things that you always want to do. There's another one, too, that it's kind of the reverse coin of that. And again, it's, it's, it's part of the, the, the time machine thing, see, where you are put into this machine and the buttons are pressed and they set all the dials and then... Zap! And there you are walking around. 1,722,962,000 B.C. And all around you are these enormous animals. And they're going... with the ancient reptiles. Now, do you agree that you have thought about this from time to time? Just a little bit. That that has intrigued you just a wee bit. <laughs> and that, uh, of course, these are all basic drives that, that we all share in one... Uh, let's put it this way. We share it in a greater or lesser degree. Now, if you have these things to a totally almost a full-blown, completely out-of-control degree, you spend all of your time sitting in the corner by the fern plants mooning. You become, uh, you become Miniver Cheevy. You ever hear Miniver Cheevy? Great character. Miniver Cheevy, rude the day. 
wrote the day that he was born. I'm paraphrasing it. I remember very well. Yes, he sighed for days of yore, men of Archivi, when men wore, wore, wore chain mail. And, you know, that's right. And that's the men of Archivi syndrome. And, and, and the, in, a, in a way, this is also part of that poor, sad crowd of nostalgists who, uh, who somehow wished that they could instantaneously return to the days of Betty Boop. Uh, they could return to the days when, when the people really took stuff like, uh, like a Mickey Mouse seriously. You could step into a time machine and see, zap, and you're back. Ah, sadness, oh woe, oh tears, oh joy, future, present, past, all melding into one great, vast, swirling maelstrom, little echo chamber, Joe, Joe, Joe. that great, great, great swirling echo chamber chamber of the consciousness of now. The consciousness, the consciousness of then, then the, consciousness the consciousness of will be, will be the consciousness the of possibly, of maybe, of, of yesterday, of now, today, today tomorrow, tomorrow, gone, gone past, now, now present. Ah! I knew that you will have to come in eventually. Hello, Test. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. So just, uh, you know, six of one, half a dozen the other. That giant echo chamber. That vast, unfolding neon sign that blasts out, says me, Aki, I'm here. That, uh, that uh, creeping radar antenna that immediately lights up when the TV camera's on you. All these things are all in the works. They gotta be in the works. The, the mills grind fine. Indeed, they grind fine, but they grind exceedingly slow and exceedingly steady. They never stop. So uh, take a deep breath, and uh, don't forget to start collecting your chewing gum. You never know. You never know. No, you, don't, you just never know. A few little nail clippings, little bits of hair there, maybe other things, too. Just keep that. W.O.R. New York, Lester Smith in the News. The news in detail on the hour from the W.O.R. Newsroom, a South Vietnamese Army Relief Force is still trying to get to the besieged provincial capital of An Lac. The soldiers have met hard resistance from entrenched North Vietnamese troops around the town. In South Vietnam's Central Highlands, South Vietnamese officers report North Vietnam soldiers hurled themselves at defense lines around the city of Kantum, but the Saigon government forces were able to repulse the attack in an eight-hour battle. 
And in 40 hours of fighting around Khantoum, the United States B-52s have dropped the immense total of over 2,500 tons of bombs to help stop the advancing North Vietnamese. Tomorrow morning, President Nixon leaves Washington for Salzburg, Austria, the first stop en route to his Moscow summit meeting with Russian Premier Alexei Kosygin. What Mr. Nixon hopes to accomplish was outlined tonight at the White House. And the president said he will talk directly to the Soviet public as well as to their top leaders. WOR's Clifford Evans reports on the presidential goals for the Moscow talks. President Nixon leaves from Moscow in a most enthusiastic frame of mind. He expects achievement in space, trade, and the limitation of nuclear weapons. But Mr. Nixon said, even if we do not succeed in all areas, we will continue a dialogue in the future. There will be an ongoing process of negotiations. Mr. Nixon said that Vietnam will be discussed at the summit conference.